Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. Welcome to session three of Warrior School. Have you enjoyed the first two sessions? So as we've gone through the first two sessions, you've noticed that things have intensified. The third session is more intense. And just, yeah, just, if it's warrior style, then bring it, right? Right. So I want you to go with me to, to uh, Mark chapter 16. Remember we gave... Jesus' mission statement, Luke chapter 4, earlier. Now, here is his commandment for our mission statement. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Hallelujah. That sounds like a powerful warrior group of people to me. There's a passage I want to just quote you from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3, and it's this, because we're talking about Force multiplication in session three. And I'm going to give you the definition in just a minute, but just so you'll understand, we're also talking about unconventional warfare. This is an unconventional war, and we must use unconventional warfare tactics. And the weapons of our warfare, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3, are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty. Everybody say mighty. <laughs> Are your weapons mighty? Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we're taking things captive. We're releasing things. We're tearing things down. We're doing the work of the kingdom of God. Let me give you a definition for false force multiplication. And I thought this is, when God spoke that word into my mind, I was uh, kind of talking to Pastor Casey earlier this week and, and he asked me if he remembered whenever we preached here on uh, actionable intelligence. It's not this year, but last year. And it was a powerful move of God that we had. I think I had Tim and Shannon Brooks with me here that particular Sunday morning. And we preached on, on heavenly intel of how, how we can hear from God and God can reveal things to us. This term came in the same way. I literally heard God say, force multiplier. I had no idea what it meant. I wrote down a piece of paper. I said, I've heard that term probably in like a Jason Bourne movie or something. I don't know where I heard that. But, I mean, I heard that term somewhere. And I went, okay, what does that mean? Here's what it means. A capability that when added to and employed by a combat force significantly increases the combat potential of that force and thus enhances the probability of successfully accomplishing their mission. Okay, we're talking about unconventional warfare. 
We're talking about these laws of conquest that we've been, we've been dealing with. Here's what I want you to understand about a force multiplier. I just got through reading an article, and I, I love gun magazines. I am a typical dude, okay? I love guns. I do. I, I love guns. I love pickup trucks. I confess it. I, I am a country boy. All right, so I love all that stuff. I love everything that's got an edge to it. I mean, I just, I just love it. And I'm pull, thumbing through this magazine, and, and I look, and it's, uh, people are actually buying these things, not just the military, and it was a grenade launcher. And I'm thinking, i got to have one of those, right? <laughs> but it wasn't just most grenade launchers, old school, would just you break it down and you put the little canister grenade and you and shoot it, you know, and it may go 100, 200 yards. This thing is a 40-millimeter grenade launcher, six-shooter. So it's got this big rotating canister, and it's shoulder-mounted, and, and you can shoot tear gas, you can shoot grenades that explode, you can shoot incendiary devices, but it rotates just like a revolver, and it can release six grenades in three seconds. It can pinpoint accuracy, hit something at 150 yards, but it can launch as far as 800 meters. And each one of them, when it goes off, can cover an area from 40 times 80 meters. So you shoot off six of these things and you cover a football field. So why did they come up with this for our military? Because now one man can stand off an army. Or one woman could stand off an army. So it multiplies the force and you can have a small unit of fighters and have a couple of these things and take on tanks and take out buildings and take on a massive force that's coming at you. So the power of one, are you following me on this? The power of one is multiplied by a technological marvel and giving them a powerful weapon that, that, that goes beyond the means of a normal soldier. Are y'all still with me? It's a high rate of fire. In other words, we got Jews. God still uses unconventional methods in battle. In the Golan Heights in the Syrian war that happened with Israel, between Israel and Syria, this before Syria disintegrated as a nation, so it was many, many years ago, but it was a tank battle. I don't know if you heard about this battle or if you know anything about modern tactics or modern history, and it's still kind of considered a modern uh, technological thing that happened there. Israel had overwhelming odds against them, as they always have. And you've read about the Six-Day War. You've read about how God has intervened for Israel in Bible history and in modern history. They had to figure out how to get through. The Syrians had set up all of these armored vehicles. They had all of these tanks. They had minefields. And Israel didn't know how they were going to pierce through with their tanks so that they could win. And they did this t military tactic called the steel punch. And what they did was they took one vehicle, they took old vehicles at first, old junk Jeeps and trucks, and they would put them in a single column, and they pushed them with tanks, and they burst through the minefield by this one focused point of pressing through and boom and pressing through and boom and pressing through and boom. And suddenly... They've broken through the ranks. Now they're behind the enemy, and their tanks were able to take out the Syrians' tanks, and Israel won by a focused, concentrated beam of, of their troops and their movement and their armament. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying right now? 
There's something that happens when you have a unified approach. When a church comes together, when a group of people comes together, and when it's all focused in an area, let me tell you something. You can pray toward this community and see God shake this community. You can break through entrenched positions of the devil and see a breakthrough in the spirit realm and see God do marvelous things. Do you believe that God is able to do that? Often we don't overcome. Here's the truth for you. Those of you that are taking notes and you're going to ask questions later. Often we don't overcome because we don't grasp the divine resources at our disposal. I'm going to say it again. We got juice. That means we got power. We have authority in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen, somebody? We're talking force multiplication. I'm going to give you a spiritual five laws of conquest, some things that you need to watch out for on the battlefield, some things you need to think about. And I'm going to start out by giving you a passage of Scripture from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. Probably it's one of those Scriptures that you, you may have either never heard or rarely heard preached from the pulpit or even taught from a Sunday school class. Ecclesiastes 10, 8. And whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent will bite him. Whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent will bite him. What do you mean by that? Do you believe that God can hedge about his people? Do you believe that the devil also tries to hedge about his people? That sometimes we have to break through. But at that point of breakthrough, talking spiritual tactics, at that point of breakthrough, sometimes behind that hedge, there's something waiting to attack you or bite you. Sometimes in the midst of a powerful revival, right as you're having breakthrough, there is an attack of the enemy. We'll drop our guard right after something marvelous happens. We think, wow, we've arrived, things are good, but you could stumble right at that point. A spirit of lust could hit you right there in a revival. You could fall into a trap right there in the midst of a move of God. Or right when you seem to have a spiritual breakthrough in your house or in your family, there's something else just waiting, and you're off, caught off guard, and you could fall. So let me just give you some things. Let me just give, give you some info here. Your enemy is not people. Now some of this, you're going to say, oh, I know this, but this is to set up where we're going. Your enemy is not people, but Satan and his demons. People are only conduits and pawns used in this battle by him. Number two, spiritual warfare is conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm that will eventually manifest or reveal itself in the soulish and visible physical realm. Still with me. Number three, you'll be ineffective at setting captives free or helping someone under Satan's influence if you are merely fixated on the branches or the fruit and not the root of the problem. Number four, warfare waged in the heavens or spiritual realm between angelic and demonic forces affects you and I in the physical realm. So what is happening in the spiritual realm and the princes of the power of the air over this region and as battles are being fought and waged in the prayer room and the war room of prayer and prayers are being offered up and praise is being offered up, God's trying to send angel, uh, answers back down through angelic means even sometimes. Uh, the warfare that goes on, if you don't believe it, drive into some cities that are controlled by particular spirits. When you, when you hit New Orleans, for instance, first when I drive into New Orleans, uh, people who live there all the time kind of get 
desensitized to it and used to it. But I am overwhelmed by the spirit of witchcraft that I feel there. I'm very, very sensitive to those things. Uh, there's some cities where, uh, where lust is a major stronghold and you've got strip joints up and down the place. There's other places that are known for their alcoholism or their drug addiction. So there are spiritual forces and you can even sense and feel and be affected. And so churches will sometimes feel a spirit of heaviness, try to attack during worship or during preaching, and anybody who's ever been in ministry, or even while you're praying, or you could be lying in your bed and feel something. There are some places that I hate to go and even stay in the motels because of what you feel, and I may be up all night praying. It's war. I understand it. That's part and parcel of what we do. But please understand, what's happening in the spiritual realm can affect you in the physical realm. And we're, we look around and we're thinking that people are our problems when what's happening is it's a spiritual conflict. Number five, your five senses are not the limit of reality. Awakening your spirit, man, is like putting an infrared or night vision goggles on during a midnight raid. Now you will truly see where each enemy lies in wait. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do after the final session here. I'm going to lay hands on some of y'all, and uh, I'm going to pray that God upgrades your tech. If you've just been looking with your regular eyes, I'm going to pray that God gives you spiritual eyes. I want to pray God gives you discerning of spirit and word of wisdom and word of knowledge to go with that. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. Here's an equation for spiritual decline and attack. The attacks begin sometimes with just curiosity. Oh, curiosity did kill the cat. I know I'm, I'm giving y'all a lot of stuff here. All, all, we got six weeks worth of teaching. We're cramming into one day. Yeah. From curiosity comes temptation. From temptation comes the commission of the sin or the act. Then is vexation. Now this thing becomes a vexing, tormenting thing in your life because you opened a window or a door to it through your curiosity. From vexation, something that's just bugging you and bothering you and it won't go away and it keeps tempting you, keeps coming at you, then it can turn into oppression. Now it's hanging on you. Now it's, it's attaching itself to you. Uh, from that can come an actual bondage or addiction to that thing. And from there, even on possibly to possession. As you turn away from God and you turn to the sin. But there is a price that has to be paid for the freedom that the church needs. Because, see, we need to get the church free. If you're going to go set people free, we need to get the church free. Because these are things that I just read you that are attacking within our ranks and within our church, trying to weaken us, trying to bring division and strife, trying to cause us to turn against one another, trying to cause us to fixate on the wrong things when we need to have our eyes on Jesus Christ. If we're going to be an armed camp moving forward and taking ground for God, we need to fix us first. And that starts with the blood. As a matter of fact, the true price of freedom throughout history, both in the natural and the spiritual, has always been blood. Blood delivers power. Power with God, power for man, and power against Satan. Let me repeat those three things for you. The blood of Jesus Christ gives you power with God, power for man, and power against Satan. Who died for our freedom? Somebody give me his name. 
Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Who had Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and verse 11? Come up here and join me, sir. Then I'm going to call all these blood of Jesus scriptures up together after that. But you come separately. Read for us aloud. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and verse 11. Like I said, this is interactive. We want you to take a part in this. So that's why we're taking the time to pull you out. Um, read that, and then I'm going to comment more. <clears throat> And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, they love not their lives unto the death. That's a warrior. Now, that's a warrior. Can I, can I just kind of roll on y'all for just a second? I told you we're going to turn it up just a little bit. What has happened is we've stopped participating in church and become spectators. This actually entered in in the Greco-Roman theaters of the day, even back in Bible times, Please understand, here's where the division came. Here's where the diversion came. Whenever people started getting up on stumps and orating from Plato to Socrates, uh, and they'd get up and then they would have theater and people were up on high places. So we got used to people speaking to us and entertaining us, and that came over into Western civilization as well. Whereas the church, when it first started out, everybody would have a hymn, Everybody would have a song. Everybody would have a scripture. Everybody could preach. Everybody could teach. Everybody could witness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Everybody in the church was preachers. That's why the church grew in leaps and bounds. And then we turned it into a spectator sport where we got, we got somebody up here going down to these people right here. And, da, 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 da. and that's just what we thought. Look, that's not all church is. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. But that's not all church is. So what happens is it becomes theater. So church has turned into theater in Western culture. And so now it's about who's got the best theater. This is how we get people into church. We've got better seating. we got better air conditioning. we got better light and sound than everybody else. We have an amazing choir. We have an amazing praise team. Our, our preacher or our speaker is the best orator, or he can entertain you or she can entertain you with a story and enthrall you and get you caught up in what they're doing. And that's, it's turned into glorified theater. So, therefore, we think we can sit in the seats and be theater critics Yeah, boom shakalaka. I told you we're bringing out the unconventional warfare here now. So you're, you're in the third session. We got to turn it up just a little bit, all right? So I'm going to drag you up here and make you read scripture just to start you out. Because God don't want you just sitting there. Is that where you're going to war? No, we got to take it to the streets, baby. So these next five or six scriptures, you're all coming up at once. So I'm going to call them out again, and you're all going to come stand by me in a line, and we're literally going to give like five scriptures on the blood of Jesus. Boom, 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 bing, bang, boom. You're going to have to be ready and roll. So you Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, get up here. Ephesians 2, 13, right behind him. Colossians 1, 14, 
right behind her. Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews 13, 12. And 1 John 1, 7. That's all scriptures just on the blood because the blood of Jesus Christ is the most unconventional weapon that you can find in the Bible. One drop cleansed you of your sins. One drop hedges you about. One drop confounds the devil and undoes every device that he has. Hallelujah. So the blood of Jesus is supercharged with supernatural power made available to help all of us in this battle. So Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it is a saving, justifying blood. Read it. But God cometh his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Nice. You can sit down. We're justified. Give him a hand. We're justified by the blood of the Lamb, just as if I'd never sinned. I've been justified. I stand before God clean and pure and holy. I've been justified by Jesus. Ephesians 2, 13, the blood draws you closer to God. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. Give her a hand. Pass it on. Remember I told you redemption was the most important thing on God's thing. It's about redeeming mankind. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your prosperity. God don't have a problem with you having stuff. But it's more important for him for souls to be saved, for the prodigals to come home. So the blood has a redeeming power, Colossians 1.14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Glory to God. Give her a hand. Pass it on. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the blood gives us boldness and access. Read it. Having therefore, brethren, boldness into the, into the host by the blood of Jesus. Boldness to enter into the holy. Read it again. Read it again. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you. Give him a hand. We have boldness and access to enter into the holy place with God. You don't, you're not stuck outside no more. You have access. You come in unto a heavenly father and the blood of Jesus has paid for this where you can come into the holy place. Hallelujah. You're a priest. Oh my goodness. Hebrews 13, 12. Read it. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Amen. He sanctified us and he cleansed us. He, he suffered outside the gate so that we could come in. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Glory to God. Glory to God. You can, you can lay it down right there. Lay it down right there. So he cleanses and sanctifies us and hedges about and protects us. And I have to keep moving because we have so much ground to cover. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hey, who, was, who had that? Did I give that out? You come up here. Get ready. Microphone's right here. Let me comment on this real quick. And Josh, I want you to get ready and get the sword for me, will you? People are trying to call me. Uh, sorry. 
<laughs> I'm watching you on Facebook right now. I know. I'm preaching. <laughs> this will happen while I go from Alabama. So, glory to God. Yes. <laughs> so, Josh, you're standing there with the sword. I want you to read for us Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. What, what uh, translation do you have? King James, read it. Says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, mm -hmm. piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Awesome! I love that. You can set that down right there. Now, Josh is standing here to help me with something real quick. So, the sword of the Lord is quick. It's powerful. It's sharp. It it it, it reveals things. I want you to understand some things about the sword of the Lord and about the word of God. See, here's the thing. Just because you hold a Bible in your hand doesn't mean you know how to use it. Just because you hold a sword doesn't mean you know how to use it. In the rumble in the wilderness, Satan used scripture. And the devil knows the Bible better than most of you. And he knows how to use scripture against you. I want you to draw that from its sheath, will you? Here's what you need to understand. God has a way of using the sword of the Lord that you and I can't use. Most of us, if we took a big sword like this, and God told me to bring this sword for this particular illustration, but I may even end up praying for somebody with it. This is a huge sword. And Josh can tell you, it's heavy, and it was even heavier the night I gave it to you, wasn't it? It was a lot heavier than now because he felt the full weight of the responsibility of the call when I prayed for him with his sword. And I often use this sword to pray for worship leaders, but not exclusively worship leaders. And, and you felt the full weight of it. Can you imagine, because this is a replica of William Wallace's sword, and it is made after the pattern of his sword that hangs in a museum in Leeds, uh, Scotland, okay? So this particular sword weighs six and a half pounds. It's not the largest sword on record in a battle, but it's one of the largest ones. If you swung this thing all day long, you'd have to be some kind of warrior, okay? But it's not always about the broad strokes because sometimes it's about the thrust, piercing through. Sometimes it's about cleaving and cutting things off that need to be removed. But can I tell you something? A master swordsman or woman, I guess you could say, could use a sword almost like a scalpel. Because sometimes you need to just cut away the blood supply and remove the tumor. And it takes a deft stroke. You, you can put that back up. Thank you. just wanted to show them what we're talking about, what we're dealing with here. And you hang on to that. Keep it with you. Be careful with the Word of God. Be quick with the Word of God, but become skilled with the Word of God. If God's going to turn the Word of God into a living weapon in your hand, when I preach on the sword of the Lord, I talk about the Word of God getting down inside of you and you becoming the sword in God's hands to where you are so soaked up and absorbed by the Word of God that you become a living weapon in God's hands. I'm writing a book about it right now. I've even got a couple of excerpts from that book in the teaching that we're doing right now. So you become the sword in God's hands because it's the Word of God that's being spoken. So Jesus came back at the devil when Satan is using Scripture to try to trip him up and misusing Scripture. 
And if you don't know how the Word of God really, really is translated and goes, and you don't know how to preach it or teach it and how to live it and walk it out, people who are being used by the devil can trip you up and even lead you astray. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. Warriors who have gone wrong and who have fallen have allowed this to happen. And i got a lot of sword stories that I can share with you, but I'm trying to move and get through the process of this teaching here. The other thing is the armor of God. Now, I'm fixing to really kind of rock you a little bit and mess with you just a little bit. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. Everybody go. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to give you a teaching on the armor of God. I'm fixing to hit you from a totally different way here. Ephesians chapter 6. And all, there's all that teaching on the whole armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Okay, uh, so now that everybody has got that marked in your Bible, I want you to put a, put a marker or put your finger in there, and I want you to close your Bible. Okay, if, you have, if you're reading it with your cell phone, then I want you to put your cell phone face down on the pew or on your lap. Okay, all right. How many of you pray on the whole armor of God every single day of your life? Raise your hands. Mm. And this is a Holy Ghost church. And the scripture says to us in that 10th verse, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Verse 11, you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And if it's up there on the thing, turn it off. Thank you. I didn't even turn around and look. I'm just being authoritative right now. Hallelujah. So we're supposed to pray it every day. Okay, so somebody in here, somebody, raise your hand. I'll call on you. Somebody in here, raise your hand and then stand and pray on the whole armor of God that's listed right here, who, which you're supposed to know. Boom, in here, in here. And you're supposed to pray every day. Stand up. Tell me, what's your name again? Monica. Monica, pray on the whole armor of God. You're praying. Pray on yourself. Pray right now. Hope, stop. Come up here. Get your microphone. All right, Miss Monica. Pray on the whole armor of God. Father, I shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and I gird up my loins about with truth, and I put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is your word, that I'll be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. You can lay that back down here. Well, she got all of them. So if she, she, don't, if she don't pray it, so why don't you pray it every day? You do pray it, but not every day. Will you pray it on every day? No, no, no. I, I didn't say when you first wake up. I said, will you pray the whole armor of God on every day? Anybody who knows it that good. Okay? And she, right now, is at the head of the class. All right, so you're the lieutenant. I want you to lead the troops on out right now. No, let's see. This is how we promote in the Army of Faith. Say, <laughs> you passed the test. You waded through the obstacle course. You are now over the platoon. That's the way we roll at warrior school. Okay. So here's a lady who actually knew the whole armor of God without having to look at the Bible. Every one of you, when I, 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 okay, don't make me come back here 
and have to ask this question again. And you guys be so lame next time. If this is going to be warrior skill, I'm going to act like a drill sergeant with you. I, I can't be nice to you the whole time. That's the problem with nice Christianity. It doesn't prepare people for battle. So I'm going to come here, and I'm going to love on you in Jesus' name, and then I'm going to bust your chops. <laughs> then we'll pour in the oil and the wine. Hallelujah. You'll be healed. But so Monica just prayed what she knew. This is a school of the sword. This is a school of the word. But if you're faced with a wilderness experience where there is nobody there to encourage you, where the devil is beating you up with scripture, it turns into psyops. That's psychological ops. That's actually a type of warfare. That's where you disseminate lies and disinformation to either confuse or put your enemy off balance uh, or to trick them. And the devil is very, very good, unfortunately, at using psyops uh, in the battlefield of the mind uh, on believers uh, and even using Scripture to condemn you and to accuse you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or confuse you or turn you against one another. And if you don't know the Scripture, you'll fall prey to that. When you should eat the word, be the word. If you eat, Jesus goes, unless you eat my, and drink my blood, and they went, ooh, icky, Jesus. I'm, I'm just kind of bringing in the modern thing here. Jesus, your words are too hard. We're leaving now. We're going to go to a church that tells us that we are awesome. And we don't have to know all that stuff. All we have to do is just be members of the church and put a little something in the offering plate every now and then, and we're great. Eat your flesh, drink your blood, take up your cross and follow you, to be willing to endure hardness for you, to die for you, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to, 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 even if we, uh, we pick up a snake, even if we drink any deadly thing, and, and we're going to have to cast out devils and speak in tongues. You know, when we speak in tongues, it just confuses people. It gets people upset. Who's going to pray on the whole armor of God every day? Okay, let's try it again. Who's going to pray on the whole armor of God every day? Hallelujah. All right, we're not in theater. No, we're recruiting. We're training. It, it, it's, this is almost like, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> so in these... The, we all, we've always heard with the teaching of the whole armor of God, oh, we have mostly defensive, we've got one offensive weapon. Uh, I was reading something Perry Stone wrote the other day, and I just loved it. It was awesome. He said, yeah, so you've got the helmet of salvation, you've got the shield of faith, we, uh, we gird our loins with truth uh, on our feet, the, pre you know, the, uh, the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sandals of peace. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness to me is protecting my emotions and my will. That helmet of salvation is guarding my thoughts. I love this, and we're reading all this stuff. And the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. 
I got news for you. I love what Perry Stone said about this. He said, well, actually, there's the power twins. He said, because we leave out, now you can open up to chapter 6. Because when you read through all of these things and talking about standing firm and all of that and taking up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, when he goes to verse 18, he says, and it doesn't lag behind. It goes straight into this. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, now I've told you I'm not teaching on the whole armor of God. I've just got to bring out a couple of truths here. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all saints. So all kinds of prayers for all kinds of times, uh, for all kinds of situations, uh, for all kinds of people. Here's what, what he said about this. In that same Roman armor, in the Greek armor, there were also two kinds of spears. The pilum was a short spear for thrusting. And you saw that in the Spartan warriors, the Greek warriors, as well as the Romans. And the javelin which was also called the, the, the lance, which was thrown. So one could be thrown short distances. One could be thrown a long distance. Uh, the short distance one was also used for thrusting in close and pushing back the enemy. Prayer is broke up and broken up into two Greek words, uh, the word pros, P-R-O-S, and euka, E-U-C-H-E. It means, pros means face-to-face, Yuka means a desire, a vow, or a wish. In other words, prayer is close quarters combat often. It drives back the enemy often. It can be thrown, but I want to show you this. When prayer and praise are combined together to strike an oncoming enemy and stop his progress, both long distance and close, as a weapon, Here's what God spoke to me whenever I was coming up with this. This came to me last night. I wrote it down. I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant. God, I heard God say parabolic arc. I went, what? I didn't even know what that means. God actually speaks stuff like that to me, and I have no idea what it means, and I have to go look it up. When you throw a javelin or a spear, it goes up in a parabola. In other words, it leaves at this angle. It goes up in an arc. It comes down by the force of gravity about the same type of arc. So it goes up and it comes down and it's in that parabola. It's in the arc. Are y'all following me so far? This is the harp and bowl effect. You find that in Revelations 5 and Revelation 6. We're talking about harp and bowl worship and prayer. When the prayers of the saints are offered up, remember they're caught in bowls? The prayer and the praise, and it says that the angels pour them back to the earth there's, there's six weeks of teaching just in that. Harp and bowl worship is throne room worship. It's mingling intercessory prayer and worship. Look it up in Scripture. We sow it up into the heavens. Satan is in the second heavens. We're down here on the earth. The third heavens is up there. We are sowing with our prayer and our praise. The enemy is trying to keep our prayers from getting to heaven and our praise from getting to heaven. If you don't believe me, you probably don't pray much. You don't spend much time in the war room or you'll know the resistance that happens when you pray. Or you don't spend much time in worshiping, I mean really worshiping, or you would know the resistance that comes uh, when you try to do that. There is always a greater gravitational force at the front end of the parabola, and I'm probably mispronouncing that word. At the front end of that ark, there is more resistance. Understand this, when it gets to heaven and then God sends it back down, Now it's on a descending curve with force. 
This is heaven's cruise missile. This is what brings breakthrough. Anybody following me on this? People are sowing in prayer, sowing in praise. You're, you're coming against the enemy. You're declaring the word of God. You're praying. You're binding. You're loosing. You're worshiping, and your praise is going higher. And then God, it breaks through the heaven, and God's gathered up. The angels are gathered, and, goes, and God goes, now let's breathe on it, boys. Let's send it back down. And now the devil's like, oh, snap. Because <laughs> God chunks harder than we do. He's just like going, (laughs) oh, Jesus. Praise activates long-range missiles from heaven. Jehoshaphat's singers and worshipers brought an angelic attack, a supernatural attack. Paul and Silas worshiping. God sends a God quake to the jail, and the jailhouse rocked. (laughs) Hallelujah. Worship brings God's delivering power. It is a force multiplier who had first john chapter 5 verse 4 did i give that one to anybody all right let me give out a couple of scriptures first john chapter 5 verse 4 who'd like to read that for us first john chapter 5 somebody hadn't read come up here and read it for me first john chapter 5 verse 4 oh come on don't be shy it takes an effort to get up here i know it now she's coming she's ready she's all in she's coming from the back row baby she's bringing it you're bringing it. The next supernatural weapon we're talking about is the power of faith. And this is a faith church for a long time. I don't have to teach y'all on faith. I'm just bringing this out as one of the things. First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, mm-hmm. and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. <laughs> I know y'all know that scripture. Most of you could have quoted it. I'm just going to bring out one point. Faith must be proven to be strong. It must be tested. It must be proven. The way you move from a belt knife measure of faith to a mighty faith of a sword is to be tested. It's to be tempered. It's to be tried. Hebrews chapter 11. And then we're fixing to get really, really, mm, Jesus. See, warriors who have gone on before have paved the way for us. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're talking about a proven faith. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Boy, I like them all, I guess. Look at verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me if I told of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness. We're talking about supernatural warfare. We're talking about supernatural deeds. My prayer for this church is that this church begin to move in the supernatural, that your faith be activated, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, become mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced, we're talking about that enduring hardness thing. I'm talking to warriors right now. 
mocking, scourgings, yes, also chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. It doesn't say anything about them having a jet or an escalade, which is a sign of successful ministry, right? No. Who said yes? How many... Julie in the back went, yes. Pray it in that Escalade. Yes. Jesus. They're going to bring it in on a jet. My Escalade, no. <laughs> I got no problem if God wants to give me an Escalade. Understand, I also have no problem if I have to die in a hole in the ground. If that's what he requires of me. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes of the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Stop right there and look this way. I'm talking about warriors, and we are talking about unconventional warfare, and we're talking about force multiplication with supernatural weapons. And now here's where I want to go with this. And this is the place, and this is the thing that I cannot preach, in, unfortunately, in some churches. Are you ready? The price of freedom has always been blood. Our soldiers know that, and they're willing to do it. The price of civil freedom has always been blood, and our law enforcement officers and our firemen and our civil servants can tell you that, that many times it's cost the blood, and we have heroes who, who paid a difficult price that we could have liberties and that we could be protected, and that we could be kept. It's the same in the kingdom of God. And here's where I'm going with this. If we are not preaching the possibility of martyrdom in the church again, then we're not preaching the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. I am here to toughen you up today. I'm sent here by God for other things at other times, but today... I'm here to challenge you, and I'm here to toughen you up, and I'm here to help you have a heart set and a mindset that I am going all the way with Jesus and that I'm going to fight for my brother and sister in Christ. I'm going to fight to win the lost souls that are dying out there in the street, and whatever it costs me, I'm all in. And if this entire church grasps that and you're fighting as one, and you're fighting together for the cause of Christ and for the kingdom of our God, and you're fighting to save those that are dying out there in sin, then you're going to see a lasting move of the Holy Spirit and a lasting revival. And if you'll become like that, then you're not going to be easily offended if somebody in the church has to get on you. You're not going to get bummed out if you've got a little chastening. Because guess what? Sometimes your COs are going to have to do that. And sometimes, yeah, not just your commanding officers, but your fellow soldiers will have to get on you. You need to get in step. You need to get in line. You drag him behind. Come on, come on. And, and, and sometimes they're chasing you, and sometimes they encourage you. Come on, you can get up over that barrier. Come on, come on, man. You're almost there. A little bit higher up on that rope. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I know you're tired. We've got to take this next hill. There's an enemy placement up there that's raining down on our people. It's killing our people. We've got to go take that out. I, I know you're hurting. I know you're wounded. 
come on, we've got to do this. It don't sound easy. So I'm going to end this session by saying this. If we're not preaching the possibility of martyrdom to our people, then we are holding out a part of the gospel that Jesus did not hold back on and that the disciples and the apostles did not hold back on. They talked about it openly. And they let people know this is always a part of the process. Some people will be so full of demonic rage at what you're doing, they're going to kill you. But you know what? Even some of those people might get saved later. The very ones that destroy you, that hate you for the sake of the gospel, they won't even know why they hate you. They just hate you. Remember, the battle is not with flesh and blood. What's motivating and driving those people are spiritual forces that are in them. Don't hate those people. Don't get mad at those people. Those people are your kinfolks, some of them. Those people are your neighbors, some of them. Those people are the ones you see at Walmart or at the dollar store. Come on, somebody. Don't be hating on them. Love them. Reach them. And come against the forces of darkness that are destroying them. We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at Freedom Ministries Crossing. Come.